0: Back in 1820, you remember that, right? Just like it was yesterday. The average person in England wrote only three letters a year. And the reason for that was that those letters in those days were mailed without any kind of cover and could be read by anybody. So William Mulready had an idea to ensure privacy and letters being sent. And in 1840, he introduced a brand new way of sending mail using an envelope. It was an instant success. And now, as Paul Harvey would say, you now know the rest of the story. But there is still one form of mail that anybody can still read today. That's the postcard. A postcard is reserved for a very short message, usually to a close friend or a relative. And I believe that if most, if not all of us this morning are aware that the New Testament of the Bible is divided into four main parts. The first part is called the historical books, and they consist of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. The second part is the epistles or the letters of Paul, and there are 13 of them. The third part is the non-Pauline epistles, that, those that are not written by Paul. Those are James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and possibly the book of Hebrews. The fourth part is called the prophecy, and that book is the revelation in that part of the, uh, the New Testament. But the second part is known as the epistles. It varies in length and content, and they have longer books in this section, like the book of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Hebrews to shorter ones such as Galatians and Ephesians and 1st and 2nd Timothy. And then there are four books in the New Testament that are only one chapter long. For years scholars have called these the New Testament postcards. They are the book of Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John, and the book of Jude. If you were with us two weeks ago, we looked at a man named Zacchaeus. Last Sunday, we looked at a man named Stephen. Today, we're going to meet a man who sees forgiveness firsthand. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I know that you probably do, I want you to open up to the book of Philemon. Philemon. And I know Philemon might be a difficult book for you to find because it's not one that we go to very often. Philemon is sandwiched there between the books of Titus and Hebrews, kind of towards the back of the Bible. It might be hard to find, and even though the book of Philemon is short in length, It is deep and rich in content. Scholars tell us that it was about six years before the execution in Rome that Paul writes a personal letter to a man named Philemon who lives in Colossae. It is the only private letter by Paul in the New Testament. This little letter, much like a postcard, is the shortest of all of Paul's writings. It's 25 verses long, and it could be read in about three minutes. In fact, sometimes it's a person can read it quicker than many people can find it in their Bibles. Have you found it yet? Okay, good. But as short as it is, It's a wonderful story of love, forgiveness, and and restoration. In a nutshell, Philemon is a written request from Paul asking Philemon, a slave owner, to accept back and reinstate the runaway slave named Onesimus. And between the lines of this book are some wonderful truths for each of us today. Today. So let's read it together. Philemon, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, more, it is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he, reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have had him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done, any, has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh your heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And then he does his salutation at the end of his letter. Many years ago in the country of Scotland, there was a man named John Knox. John Knox carried a tremendous burden for Scotland. John had had a certain hideout, and every day there on that wooden floor of his hideout, he would pray on behalf of the people of Scotland. One night, he and his wife were at the hideout. And she pleaded with him, go and get some sleep, John. And he answered her, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? The prayer that Knox would pray all night. In agony was this, Lord, give me Scotland or let me die. Though Knox, even though it took 120 years following his death for this to be achieved in 1689, for that was when God shook the country of Scotland and Scotland became a Christian nation. And still today, Christianity is the largest religion in Scotland. Praise God for people with a burden for unsaved people. Praise God for people who care about others. Do we have a burden for others like John did? Would we be able to say, Lord, give me Carruthers or let me die? This morning, I am thankful that through my life, there have been people who have gone to God on my behalf. There were people who cared about my spiritual condition. Not only did they care, but they have ministered to me in many different ways. And they have gone before God to plead with him on my behalf. Aren't you glad that people have gone to God on your behalf? Those who have gone to God on our behalf has acted as an intercessor on our behalf to God. It says an intercessor is a person who intervenes on behalf of another. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, My dear children, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. Today, standing next to the throne of God is our Savior Jesus, who died for our sins, who rose for our justification, and now He is making intercession on our behalf. That should get us shouting this morning, church, that we have someone standing on our behalf. For Paul says in Romans chapter five, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. First, Peter also tells us in chapter three, he says, Christ also suffered when he died for our sins. Once and for all he never sinned but he died for sinners that he might bring us safely home to God. The reason that Jesus suffered all the beatings that he took, all the the hanging we hung on that old rugged cross was so he can bring us back to God. And as our intercessor Jesus has intervened for us. That word intervene is defined as to come between so as to prevent or alter a result of a course of events. Each one of us here this morning was dead in our sins. We were destined for hell because of our sinful ways. We would have faced the righteous wrath of God, but praise God that Jesus came and altered the course course of our events. Aren't you glad this morning that when we were guilty, Jesus walked into our lives? Praise God, that mercy walked in and his name is Jesus. Because where would we be if he didn't walk in when he did in our lives? And this letter that Paul wrote that we just read a few moments ago paints a great picture of someone intervening on someone else's behalf. For Paul stood as an advocate on behalf of Onesimus and pleaded for mercy. On his behalf. And we can see that this letter is addressed to a man named Philemon. We also know that Paul wrote this letter because it says that in verse 19. Where it says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. It's a very personal letter here. In the verses that we read, it's clear that Paul was in prison at the time of his writings. Paul wrote four prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. It's believed that this letter and the letter of the Church of Colossae were written about the same time, somewhere around 60 to 63 A.D. In this letter to Philemon, we see that there are several people mentioned besides Philemon and Onesimus. But the three main characters of this letter is is Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. For there in Colossae was this man Philemon. Scholars tell us that Philemon was a wealthy man. And it's believed that his house was large enough to house the church of Colossae. He had several slaves and one of the slaves was Onesimus. Onesimus had wronged Philemon in some way. No one knows for sure what Onesimus had done. But we know that he did for in verse 18, Paul writes, If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Whatever the wrong was done, Onesimus runs away from his master Philemon. And while Onesimus was a man on the run, he meets up with a man called Paul. And through Paul witnessing to Onesimus, Onesimus comes to know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. And we then see that Onesimus begins to help Paul. In verse 11, Paul states that Onesimus has become very useful to him. In fact, if it were up to Paul, he would have kept Onesimus with him. But Paul knew that he must send Onesimus back to Colossae, to Philemon. It was then that the letter for the church of Colossae was delivered. For in Colossians chapter 4, it says these words, Tychus, who will tell you all the news about me, he is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstance and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And as they arrive back at the Colossae, Onesimus hand delivers the letter to this man who had wronged him or who he had wronged Philemon. And and as Philemon opens this letter, he begins to read it. He reads of a great transformation that had taken place in Onesimus' life. This letter to Philemon contains a personal plea from Paul. And Paul was interceding on behalf of his son in the faith. And Paul's desire is that Philemon would welcome Onesimus back into his house, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. For he writes in verse 16, "'He is no longer just a slave.'" He is a beloved brother. Paul was so convinced of Onesimus' transformation that he was willing to assume any debt that he owned to Philemon. Scholars tell us that a slave back then would cost an owner 30 shekels when they would buy that slave. When that uh, owner of the house were to go buy a donkey, it would cost 30 shekels, the same amount as a slave. For rent on a home for one year, it would cost 12 shekels. Gone up a little bit, hasn't it? In verse 18, he says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Reminds me of the story over in Luke chapter 10. We know it as the Good Samaritan. And as I have been reading and rereading and studying these 25 verses in this book, it is becoming on the top 10 favorites of mine in God's word. Because through these 25 verses, we get a glimpse into who Paul really is. If you remember last Sunday, we said that what is in the well will come up in the bucket. And as we see Paul here, as we read this letter and his other letters, we see what's in Paul's bucket. What's in our bucket? What's in your bucket today? For the love that Paul speaks about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is more than just words written on a page. For Paul was controlled by this love that he writes about. And it shines through in these verses and every verse that He writes. So as we read Paul's letters, there is no question of Paul's love for those who are lost and his love, not just for the lost, but for all people. But this letter here is the most personal and intimate of them all. There is so much that we can take away from this letter to Philemon. So here's what we're going to do. Over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through these verses. And we're look at this story, for I want us to see these events through the eyes of Paul. Through the eyes of Onesimus. Through the eyes of Philemon. And by doing so, I believe that we're going to learn a great deal about love. About forgiveness. About mercy. About encouragement. About redemption and spiritual transformation. And yes, even our Christian responsibility... We will see that each of us can relate to Onesimus. We'll be able to see that we were once slaves in a foreign land. And we were once very far from our loving father's hand. But because of his great love for us, he has rescued us and brought us out of the deep miry clay and paid a debt that we could never pay. Yes, we were born sinners And we were dead in those trespasses and in our sins. We too were on the run and we needed redemption as well. We owed a debt that was impossible for us to pay. But thank be to God, while we were running from Him, there were those that were praying for us. Those who were encouraging us along the way. And it is only by His amazing grace that you and I are saved this morning. And because we are saved, Jesus has become our advocate, our intercessor, and our sacrifice for our sins. He went to the Father on our behalf and made a way for us to be forgiven, accepted. And the only thing we need to say this morning is thank you, Jesus that he did that. And just like Onesimus, we can be or we have been restored when we have chosen forgiveness. Onesimus received that ultimate forgiveness and was reconciled to God, and Paul desired that Onesimus also be reconciled to Philemon. Love and forgiveness. Reconciliation and mercy, encouragement, redemption, spiritual transformation and even our Christian responsibility are eight things that we need today in the family, in the church, in the community and in our world. And it starts with me and it starts with you today. So as we go over these next few weeks, I don't know how long we're going to be because we're kind of in the middle of another series, if you think about it. Zach and I were talking about that this week. He goes, Dad, you're in a series. And I said, I'm what? He said, you're in a series. I said, how am I in a series? We never talked about it. He goes, well, you've been talking about Zacchaeus. You talked about Stephen. And now we're going to look at Philemon. I said, Zach, we're in a series. (laughs) So we're going to be in a series within a series for the next couple of weeks. And I just hope that you will go along with us on this ride. Where is it going to take us? To love. For forgiveness, reconciliation, mercy, encouragement, redemption and spiritual transformation, and our Christian responsibility. When we come to worship, we're going to learn in the next few weeks. Let's stand this morning and pray.